Welcome back, guys. If you knew what me and Brian have actually been through today, you would understand that the fact that we're still creating this podcast is a miracle in itself. So thank you, Bio, once again for joining us today. Thank you for Best having me. Not, not, no, Bio Adelaide is the founder of Do It Now Now, launched in 2016. It's an open, innovative organisation driven by the desire to bring social empowerment to the Black community across the globe and nationally. Bio has brought together entrepreneurs, startup teams, social inventors, investors, all together to tackle tough issues, solve problems, and develop the very community that we love. So once again, welcome Bio to Several Seats podcast. Well, that intro is everything. Um, I've dedicated my the past four years of my life to building a social enterprise that will hopefully bring parity equality and justice to the black community across the world my big passion is ensuring that every black person everywhere has all the access they need to tools resources training skills and so on so that they can build the life that they want for themselves um so determining who you want to be and having the freedom to actually become that person because you have access to the to the things you need to get there that's my big passion and yeah. when I started Do It Now and I was I was designing very deliberately the thing that I wanted to focus on for the rest of my life so whatever I'm doing it will always be tied to the the depth of and kind of digging deeper into ensuring that we know who we are we're doing all we can to be the best version of ourselves possible so bio tell us a little bit about yourself what's your favorite quote or bible verse that motivates you basically goes um we're we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses uh and to to like toss off the shackles that confine you and run to the run to your expected end or something like that basically it's it's oh, a different nice. version of um basically what my life's mission is for the black community which is like there have mm. been all of these people these generations upon generations that have fought for our, our space and place in this world and those are the clouds of witnesses who are seeing us live today and trying and uh, we are just essentially not to waste the opportunity that they've given us um by their sacrifice yeah but use the opportunity to re- to understand and further dismantle any shackles that are on us so that we can actually achieve the life that we were intended to live and contribute to the world in a way that is beneficial for everybody. Um, so yeah, that's those that's my favorite Bible verse. My and uh, yeah, that that has shaped me a lot. That wow. that verse. Yeah, it sounds like it's a very impactful thing you've interpreted it in a way where it really does apply to why you started your mission mm. in the first place. And I guess with that being said, like, do you have a female role model? 
do you have someone you look up to? Well, this I don't know why. Okay, no, actually, I do have someone I look up to, but I think you should look up to people you know. <laughs> I feel like it's weird. Um, the because pe- I have. People start screaming Beyonce and all sorts, and you think, well, it doesn't know you. People would ask me that question a lot when I was younger, like, who inspires you? Who are your role models? And I could never really answer that question because I was never really inspired by a person. I was more inspired by a movement. Like, when I could see something had happened Mm. that had changed the world in one way or another, that was inspiring to me. That was extremely cool to me. So it was more the fact that something something could be done, something could be changed, like the entire world could just change because someone had done something. And it wasn't, and I just, I never really tied it to being like that person being a role model, but it was the fact that they were able to do it. So the fact that like, my mom always used to say okay. that person doesn't have two heads, you have one head, they have, um, they have one head, you're capable of the same thing. So the fact that they were able yeah. to do it just made me think, oh, I can do it. Why not? At the time, I had no idea what systemic racism was. But, <laughs> but I recognized <laughs> the naivety and the um, the willingness to to try uh, to like to achieve everything that I wanted to achieve because someone else somewhere had done it. And today, I don't... There are people that I'm just so in awe of and use as examples a lot. Mm. Um, one of them is Bill Gates. I think what he does and what Bill and Melinda Gates both do is fantastic to make a whole bunch of money and then say, we're just going to dedicate the majority of this money to solving the world's problems. I think that's fan- yeah. I think that's fantastic, but I wouldn't really call him or them a role model of mine because I'm not doing the same thing and I don't seek to do the same thing. Um, I'm not trying to make a whole bunch of money mm. and then help people. I'm helping people, right? So I don't yeah. know that I can say I have a role model. I have, when it comes to do it now, now, I have things that I see and I'm like, oh, we could be there one day. But I mean, as a person, I don't, I mean, I have God. <laughs> like, <laughs> I have God, I have my mom. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> worked. Yeah, Jesus worked. <laughs> what inspired you to do what you did? to start this whole um, organization so for me i think what i was i've been like many other people i've been rig- like just incessantly consuming information about black lives matter for the past week and a half i've just been everything i watch everything i read is just somehow connected um and i and i'm grateful for that because it means that i'm getting to hear new perspectives on the subject but Something that keeps coming up, um, especially when it's Black thought leaders talking about Black Lives Matter and the outcome of these protests is the revolution needs to happen in your mind as well, right? Um, like, you, mm-hmm. you, no matter how many changes come into society, if you, as a Black person, don't recognise the kind of rose-coloured glasses or, I don't know, white supremacy glasses or colonisation of your own mind that you're experiencing you won't be able to drop those shackles that we talked about earlier and for me I had a revolution in my mind years ago um and that's what what really got me to start doing it now now because I was just so 
I, I, well, the thing that comes to mind is that I just recognize, like I used to think, oh, I'm really smart. <laughs> Gosh, that sentence. No, no, like, <laughs> I don't know. The, one of my favorite, when people ask me, what is your favorite thing about yourself? I would always say my mind. Like I, I was really grateful oh, I love for the that. fact that I could think in a way that was beneficial. Like I could think through problems differently than other people. I could see gaps. I could like, I don't know. It just, it was just really cool to me the way that I thought about things and the way that I could, I could help people see things differently. That was just really like a fun thing for me about myself. And so I thought, oh, I'm really, really smart. Isn't that cool? That's one of, that's one of the things I kind of hung my identity on. And then mm. one day it kind of dawned on me as I was just going through like a thought experiment in my own head as to society and academia and all of that stuff. Um, at the time, I was also a uh, hashtag world-class researcher. <laughs> so I was, I was basically <laughs> at one of the best universities in the world, um, leading conversations uh, where people were quoting me around, well, quoting me and my colleagues, but quoting me around the world. And I was just like... Mm-hmm. I done made it. I am super smart. And then it dawned on me that the only reason I can say that is because my parents valued education more than anything else in the world. Because if my parents didn't value education the Mm. the way that they do, I wouldn't have gone to university probably. I I wouldn't have decided to do a master's. As in you wouldn't have had that drive to go? I mean, considering the type of person that I am, if my parents hadn't made like if my parents hadn't told me university um best university in the world that is where you're going that's where you have to go that's where you have to go that's where you have to go I probably if they my dad my dad is a documentarian and a musician if my dad had more influence over my education I probably would have been an actress or something considering how much my parents eventually agreed that education and being the best in the world was important to them that's what made me seek out those opportunities and really go for those things and therefore have the opportunities that Mm. I have rather than it being me being inherently smart like I'm not saying I'm dumb I am saying there are much smarter people than me in the world that are not doing things that validate their intelligence to, to the external community yeah so Basically, this is a really long answer to the question. I'm so sorry. You almost you had a, you had that validation from early. Yes, exactly. And when I started to think about it, I was just like, wait. So, if it if I'm just like a normal person that just happens to have had all of these experiences, where am I when it comes to the rest of the world? Like, who could have had these experiences that didn't? Who has had better experiences than I have, but is less? inclined or has less affinity towards them and that's kind of how I came up with my own version of white privilege basically and that concept in my own head and I recognized the impact that it had on my life I recognized the impact my own position in the world was having on other people's lives and how everything worked together and I was just like so if I have power and I have privilege because of the place that I am and I can sincerely feel other people other people's power and privilege oppressing me I don't want to be responsible for the oppression of another group of people I want to be part of the solution so what I can do is ensure that Mm -hmm. every black person no matter where they came from what their what their creed is what um their parents told them they could be if they have a drive to do something then 
someone should be there to help them get there. And um, that's kind of how I started out off. And um, it's just kind of turned into a much more sensible, organized, well thought out proposition over the past four years. You come across like a person who's very confident about themselves. And it brings me to the next question, which is what is your greatest fear? Because I guess for me, my greatest fear, especially with launching this platform, was mm-hmm. the fear of failure. And that's what held me back for so long. But you've always jumped into opportunities head first. I mean, yes. And not always to the best, not always to my to my credit, to be honest. So I, um, I think a, a healthy recognition of fear is important. Um, but like recognizing, mm. knowing why you're, you're scared is much more important than jumping into things um and actually that's something i recognized was that when i was jumping into things constantly i wasn't dealing with the reason i was scared and i eventually just kind of got to the top of a mountain after having just kept jumping over smaller mountains and jumping off of excuse me jumping off of smaller mountains and jumping off of slightly taller mountains and jumping off of slightly taller mountains and one day I was just like at the top of this really high mountain. It was like, crap, this is really high. What happens if I fail? And I hadn't dealt mm. with the fear of failure. So that meant that I was like, I ended up being burnt out, depressed, really anxious, overwhelmed. And that's when I stopped jumping into things. <laughs> and I instead recognized that my big fear is that I'm scared of change. Like I'm scared of things changing. Um. I like to know what I'm doing, when I'm doing it and how I'm doing it. And I like to kind of have a massive plan Mm. and just keep going towards that plan and then figuring out what opportunities are available around me that will serve the plan that I have already set up up in front of myself. So when things like this stuff, like Corona Mm. happening and everything changes and we have to like scramble for like, which clients do we still have? Which grants can we still um confirm who's still working for us who's not who like what is happening how is everything going like previously before I had that massive meltdown in I think 2007 18 maybe um but like before I had that I would have just like been one of the people one of those people that was just like oh let's take everything online today let's move everything quickly let's just keep going keep going keep going and what I did instead was I took about a month off and I just reviewed everything. I gave my time, myself time to deal with the fact that everything had changed. I gave myself time to kind of get used to the new normal. And I gave myself time to think through mm-hmm. everything as to what this means for us now. And it led to a much yeah. stronger version of the plan that I'd previously put in place. So I think fear can work for you. As long as you recognize your fear, you face it head on and you give yourself time to like really reason it out. And I think it was you that actually said to me that the day you mm. fell is when you give up. And that put everything in perspective for me where that's it's a lot bigger and change, if anything, brings you out of your comfort zone. And that's the thing that we're most afraid yeah. of being outside of our comfort zone. And that's why I was trying to control about this is what I want to do, this and this is how I want to do that. And I think I've had it both ways where I've been so controlling over my schedule and what I do. And I've also had the whole blase, blase attitude where I was like, oh, yeah, I'll just go where the wind takes me. And the wind has taken <laughs> oh. me some very <laughs> traumatic places. <laughs> I feel you on the one, yeah. 
but yeah it's definitely finding mm, that balance that absolutely. works for you I guess yeah and because no one is the same like you just kind of have to figure out what works well and give yourself the time like if you're one of those people that can really honestly roll with the punches if you if you aren't scared of failure you aren't scared mm. of change and you can just kind of roll with punches good for you well done happy days but if you feel like one of the things that is holding you back in life it are those things then give yourself time or if it's another fear i don't know fear of rejection whatever it is give yourself time to deal with it with that and fear of rejection and stuff do you ever self-doubt yourself and how do you overcome that that self that self-sabotage we all have within our innate Oh, okay. Ah, oh, self-sabotage. I mean, I don't know that I do that. I can't think of a... I, right now, in this moment, mm-hmm. I cannot think of a situation in which I have, particularly work-wise, where I have shot myself in the foot. Yeah. Like, I think maybe it's it's self-sabotage for me has really been the consequence of ignoring myself like your body your mind your your spirit tells you things your gut they they say tells you things and you're just like no it's fine it's fine I'm just being a little bit too paranoid I'm just being a little bit too whatever and then it turns out to be that you should have listened to yourself I do I I used to do that Mm. I used to not listen to myself and now I um after being burned really hard (laughs) by a couple of things I now listen to myself so I don't do it anymore um but yeah my my self-sabotage was was primarily in like ignoring my my trepidation or my fear or my unwillingness to do something like if you can get to the root cause of something as to why you're not want you don't want to do it um then Mm -hmm. hopefully you'll find a way to to break that barrier for yourself especially if like running a business some things are just so necessary like no one no one loves social media for, like not no one I don't love social media <laughs> <laughs> but I'm on it because I recognize that it's necessary it's it's more like just recognizing yourself and actively trying to recognize yourself constantly um one of my favorite sayings or the things that I I regularly try to instill in entrepreneurs is your insecurities will find you in your business. Um, like whatever it is that you're doing, even schoolwork, mm. ac- academia, whatever it is, work life, your insecurities will find you. Um, and I think it shows up more in your business because you're in control of everything. And you set the boundaries, you set the goals. And it's just important to kind of recognize yeah. those insecurities because if you don't recognize them and deal with them, you will end up shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, that's so important. Cause I think um, a lot of us look at self-sabotage as the person or the thing in your mind that tells you you're not good enough or you're not worthy. When, like you said, sometimes it's the self, it's, you can self-sabotage by not actually listening to your innate body mm-hmm. that tells you that you need to rest or this isn't good. And by ignoring that self-reflective element of yourself, you are self-sabotaging. Whether it's not that you're directly saying, oh yeah, I'm not good enough, or, I'm not worthy. But by not, praising yourself in that sense and telling yourself you're worthy in the places where you don't where you hold that insecurity Mm. you're self-sabotaging so with that did you experience any social pressure from the world Um, to change as you were going along in your oh absolutely so um, one of the i i was actually having a conversation with someone the other um 
today actually um and yeah so we were just talking about like corrective lines or there's an actual there's an actual like crisis management expert lingo for this and I don't remember it but it's basically when you screw up so badly that you have to release a personal like a a, a, like a a statement saying I'm sorry I screwed up I definitely screwed up I recognize I screwed up I'm sorry (laughs) like that that kind of thing my personal thing for a very long time was people pleasing like my entire identity was found in the iris of another person's eye (laughs) like I needed I needed them to like Mm. me whoever they were whoever was in front of me I needed them to like me um and so I would bend over backwards to ensure that they did at the at the intentionally sacrificing myself and sometimes my own my own beliefs or morals or just not necessarily having strong beliefs on something um, because it didn't affect me. And I, I brought up the corrective lines or whatever they're actually called thing because I am so sure that at some point someone is going to Google everything I have ever said in an interview or in a podcast or in a blog or in a tweet <laughs> Use and it just again. be like, you believe this. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I used to be so scared that I would offend someone by want- by saying clearly that I am here for black people. And it took me a while to recognize that about myself, that it wasn't rooted in some actual political stance that I was making. It was rooted in a people-pleasing fear mentality that I had. So once I dealt with that fear, then I was able to be like, black people all the way. Um, but yeah, so I I have had to like deal with uh, deal with things here and there, but I think that's just normal and that's growing up, and everyone's growing up all the time. I sometimes I shudder to think what I said two days ago, like before George Floyd, unfortunate or like unfortunately passed away. But um before he passed away, I did two podcasts with um two on two different platforms with people. And they they were interviewing me and I said some things about mentorship and I said some things about access and things like that, that I believed and I still to an extent believe. But post George Floyd, I wouldn't say those same things in that same way. But those two podcasts were released, were recorded a week before and they were released a few days after. And And then it was released after. I am waiting for someone to read, to listen to that and be like, this chick is fake. And I'm like, it's... You know, it, it is what it is. It is. It's, and it's like at this point, you've got to realise that you cannot please everyone. You cannot please everyone. And it's like, I went through that stage as well, where I was, like, I was younger and I was a people pleaser. So I don't hold myself up to a perfection, like a, a standard of perfection. Instead, what I say is, if I know that I'm better to, today than I was yesterday, then I am perfect. Because to me, perfection is the continual striving to be better. Like, continually trying to do better than you did yesterday. Mm. And there are things in my life where I know that I definitely did not do better today than I did yesterday. And I'm like, cool. That's okay. Um, <laughs> and that's fine. But I think, yeah, I don't know. I think for me, perfectionism is about giving yourself a hard time when you don't need to. Um, 
And I'm definitely, so I'm definitely not a perfectionist. I give myself enough grace when I need to give myself grace. If I know I could have done better, if I could have, if I'm aware enough to say I, I should have paid more attention, I should have given myself more time, I should have done this, I should have done that. If I know within my control, I could have changed things if I just done my due diligence a little bit better, then I, then I give, I rightly give myself yeah. a hard time. But then if I'm like, wait, this was, I know I gave my best, so screw it kind of thing, then I don't. Um, is that why you work so hard is that why you describe yourself as a workaholic because you you want to have that reassurance that you that, know that you and I also just don't do. plan very well because I I I I just think I'm superhuman <laughs> sometimes I'm just like yeah I can do that I can do that in that time frame that's fine and then I forget that like I crave <laughs> like solitude and I crave relaxation and I crave sleep and all of those things and I'm, I'm like yeah all the human mm. things and all it, the it's human just, things i can't be a need. working machine that works like <laughs> fully head-on eight hours a day i just can't do it i need to change my my workspace i need to go for a walk i need to like look outside i need to have really big breaks because i do a lot of my work in my head like i just think everything through before i write it down so that takes up a lot a lot more time than i would um I would otherwise have if I was just straight up typing all day. Uh, so yeah, it's just when I when I so I've, I've been trying to get better at planning my at planning for like my thinking time, I suppose, and yeah. my resting time. But yeah, it's getting better, but it's it's not a hundred percent there yet. And I think I've started doing mm. this, even implementing a worry time where I can just have some time to just worry about everything that I. I've been telling myself I'm not that. allowed to worry about, and then let yeah. like letting it out, and then letting go, and then just like right, that's that's that time yeah, over. Absolutely, like back give, to, give yourself time to just like chill, and actually like blocking out time mm. to be like, look, this I I I can't be that I can't like, especially days when I have a lot of meetings. Those days are super draining to me because it means I've not I've not had any real downtime to just like have an extended period where I'm just like, okay, let's deal with the fact that I've just had this big meeting and it could go well or it could go badly. Like mm-hmm. I, I need time to to relax about things and just like deal with the fact that I'm still scared of change. Like even if if even if it's good change, I'm scared. <laughs> so um, so those kinds of things I need to build yeah. in more. And the final question, by if you wrote a book about your life, well, I am writing a book about my life. So <laughs> kind of, yeah. Well, I've been no writing way. it for a really long time, and I just I keep I I probably write a chapter every six months. Oh so it's it's a slow. <laughs> You're hearing it first here, guys. Bio's book publishing. <laughs> Um, I, so what's I the wanted, title of the book? Have I you given it a title yet? Yeah? Based on the wordplay of my name. My name means joy. So I wanna, I wanna do something that is based on that. Definitely <laughs> want to read. Definitely want yeah, to read. We'll see. Yes, but thank you once again, Bio, for coming on this platform and speaking. It's been a privilege and an honor, as always, to speak to you and just hear your story and to even just take notes as to things that I myself haven't really thought about that I should probably get started with thinking about. So thank you once again. And I hope that the listeners here have also benefited from some of the words of wisdom that you shared. Thank you for having me. I'm grateful that um, 
I, I'm grateful that I get to know you and help you because yeah it's great to it's honestly it's really great to know you like I don't know if I, I say that enough but it's really great to know you <laughs> I'm shedding a tear <laughs> all right guys thank you for listening right. and we will see you in the next episode bye